wrapping this thing up on 1 John, and uh, we end our study, and um, kind of having worked through this on the theme of having confidence that you have eternal life. And uh, I put up a Socrative thing last week uh, where you can go, and it looks like some of you had put some questions up there. And then if you have some questions today, we want to kind of try to finish this out as to what are some of the main themes and ideas, so we kind of gather this all up. Uh, so that's where we're going to be today. So if you have some questions that you still have, you maybe didn't put on Socrative, you didn't think about it, that's okay. Just raise your hand as we work through this. And uh, so uh, Dick and I have had a little time to look this over and uh, to discuss this. There seems to be two main questions or concerns. <clears throat> I'll just start with this. One is, <clears throat> excuse me, is in 1 John 4, 18, if you're interested, you can turn there. 1 John 4, 18 is the question... <clears throat> Uh, that was raised here on Socrative. I, I, I've got it right here. We just kind of collated them all. 1 John 4, 18, when it says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves punishment and the one who fears. Now, question was raised, <clears throat> does that mean if I have any kind of fear? If I have any kind of fear, does that mean I'm not perfected in love? Does that mean that that I'm not experiencing uh, that particular experience. Well, as it's common, context uh, is pretty important here. When you look at that, what does it look like the context of fear is here? Um, look at verse 17. By this love is perfected with us so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in the world. There is no fear in love, but perfect, see, perfect is referred to back in 17. Perfect love <clears throat> casts out fear. For he who is still fearing is the one who fears involves punishment. It looks like to me, <clears throat> Dick, you can jump right in here if you want to on this. It looks like to me that what, what this area of fear that is cast out is the fear of judgment, the fear of condemnation, the the term there uh, in, the, in the original language is the idea that John is trying to say that because of God's love for us, because of God's care for us, we don't have to fear judgment. You see that there in 17 and 18? Because other fear, uh, there's other fears in life, aren't there, besides judgment? What, what do we fear? Plane crashes. Stop it. Yeah. <laughs> Coronavirus. Hey, I hadn't left Newark yet. Suicide bombs. I haven't, I haven't left. <clears throat> I haven't left yet. A lot. <clears throat> yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, people get a diagnosis of, a, of cancer and they're afraid. Is that what this is referring to? I don't think so. I don't, I don't think so. Yeah, so the, the whole context <laughs> of what we've been studying is he's written these things to us so that we may know that we have eternal life. And that's what, that's what I think he's getting at here, is that we quit having fear that we know that our relationship with him is enough. The, the, uh, our faith in Christ, Christianity's just, and he can correct me, but is, I think, the only religion, if you want to call it that, that we can know that we've done enough. All the other major religions around the world and a lot of denominations even here in the United States, you never know if you've done enough. <laughs> and, you, and I mean, 
um, preachers, pastors, whatever that position is called in their religion, um, don't even know when they come down to the end of their life if they've done enough. Hmm. And so he's, we're, this is the confidence that we have in this is that we know. Yeah. Well, I think you're right. And, you know, we, we ended last week when I said that one of the greatest acts of faith for all of us is to come to some conclusion that what Jesus did is enough. And then what? What would I say? See, leave yourself alone. Okay. The, the, the greatest act of faith for many people in confidence with God. It's the greatest act, you know, you talk about great acts of faith, like I'm going to start a ministry or I'm going to go overseas and do something or I'm going to uh, give some great, some of it. That, that, that would not be the person's great, greatest act of faith. The greatest act of faith for many people is to finally believe that I've written these things. You may have confidence that you have eternal life and leave yourself alone. How about that? So, so the idea here is that confidence so that we don't live in this torment of judgment. Okay, now we're going we're gonna to get that. Now, I just let me give you a few verses here, uh, or a few ideas. Uh, uh, for, in 2 Corinthians 7, 5, 2 Corinthians 7, 5, Paul makes this statement. He said in the ministry, he said, we were fighting without in this struggle with these churches and fears within. Philippians 2, 12 says, work out your salvation with Fear and trembling. <clears throat> now, that doesn't mean work on it. The word there, work out, means have your faith begin to take action. Work it out. Work it out. It's like a football team. When they practice during the week, when they get to the game, what do they do? They work out the practice. That's what the word means, is you're to work out your salvation. You're to let it take effect in your daily living. He says with fear or this idea of reverence and trembling. Now, John Wesley famously said this, this kind of fear that we have sometimes with illness or like is fear that has no torment. Fear that doesn't have torment. Why? Because we know that we have eternal life. Yeah, yeah. The fear of cancer, the fear of losing your job or fear of those kind of things, those can be very real, but it's not the fear that hath torment because we know in the midst of that, we have eternal life. That it's, it's okay. I mean, it may be a terrible struggle, maybe a terrible time, maybe difficult. But that fear does not have torment. Like it's, I'm, I'm being, paid, uh, being punished or something's happening. That's the context, I think, that John is, is really trying to work with here. That it's fear of judgment and punishment. Just look there. I mean, that's the context. It's not about fear in some kind of generalized kind of way, but it's fear that has tor uh, torment because it has to do with punishment. What Dick said, you know, Her Henry Cloud, he made the comment several times that he said in most churches that you go to, not, not all of them, but many, they say, here's the message. <clears throat> God's good. <clears throat> You're bad. Try harder. <laughs> yeah. That's all, the, that's all the major religions. You know, there, a lot of these have things you got to do. There, most of the major religions out there, you, you know, there's five things you got to do in your life, and you got to do them, and did you do enough of them right. to make it? How, how, man. And these are the heads of these religious organizations get down to the end of their life, and they have no idea if they did enough. 
That'd yeah. be unsettling. Yeah, yeah. Well, so the idea here is not just some generalized fear. So if you're if if you you know get a cancer diagnosis and you're afraid of it, that's I think probably a pretty normal response. Or <clears throat> there's a thing. Now let me add one other thing though. I think that when fear becomes detrimental to us, like you know, I we take normal precautions because of real fears. You know, some people take a flu shot. Um, I take medication. No. <clears throat> um, well, there's some fear about the flu or those kind of things. Here's where I think for me, at least in my reading of the, the scripture, when that fear begins to edge God out, when that fear begins to edge him out, that even if I am sick, well, there's no hope because God's done with me. It's the fear that whenever it starts edging him out of our life, that he's not going to take care of us, that he isn't there, that he doesn't care. That's when I think the fear has to be confronted. Second Timothy 1.7 says, God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. Second Corinthians 10 says that we're to take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Don't let those thoughts just run through your mind. 2 Corinthians 10, 5, we, we're taking every thought captive. So what this idea of, of confidence, there can be fear and still confidence. It's when fear begins to edge God out. And it, come, it, it just comes down to this, that we just have to have faith enough that we believe 1 John 3, 1, see how great a love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called children of God and such we are. We have to just believe that because if we keep doubting that we're not his kids, that we have to do something and continue to do something, it's going to be a scary, scary time, especially when your expiration date comes. <laughs> Ooh, there it is. Yeah. Um, it's going to be pretty spooky. Yeah. I, I keep talking. I, I'm going to read something here for a second. Oh, so... Uh, so when he says there's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, it, it comes to the point where we just have to believe it. You know, when, when, my, when my dad couldn't pull the trigger to accept Christ when he was 80, he just says, I, just, I, I, I don't know how to do it. And I'm like, well, you keep saying no to God. And he goes, no, I'm not saying no. And I'm like, you're not saying yes. And he just couldn't, the faith part of it was bewildering. And without faith, it's impossible to please God. It just comes down to it. Do you believe First uh, John 3, 1? How great a love the Father has bestowed on us that we might be called his children. He loves us, therefore we are his kids. Period. Yo. Yeah, I think of a song on that, and I think this is what it comes to. I've got a quote I'm going to read to you. Uh, the person that's fearful or the person that is t tenuous, um, this is where I think then there has to be some discussion about what's the object of your faith. See, faith doesn't matter. Faith by itself is of no consequence. It's the object of your faith that makes a difference. 
Listen, there are people that believe in things around this world that believe with all their heart. But the, re- the reality of that is going to be determined by the object. There are people who put their money in investments that somebody convinced them is going to make them thousands and thousands of dollars. And they put all their money in. That's faith, isn't it? That's faith. They put their money in and they lose it all because the object of their faith is unreliable. So when a person says, I have fears or doubts, or I'm nervous, I don't know, the real issue there is to back them up and say, okay, what's the object of your faith? Not how do you feel. Of course, how you feel may be the object of your faith. I don't feel saved. Well, is that the object of your faith? Then that's where the problem lies. So backing people up sometimes to say, what is the object of your faith? Is it really that you're, you're good? Or is it really that you've really tried hard? Or is it really that, that you do lots of good things? Or you do more good than bad? That's where the, trob- the problem is. And so when people's, the object of our faith is inadequate or it's unreliable, so if my object of my faith is my ability to perform, then my, my faith is going to be like this all of my life. A song, remember we, we, we sing this, and I'm going to read something to you here from a book you need to get. Man, I wish I wrote this book and make royalties. But, uh, <laughs> look, I, th- I think you have to, I think, you know, for me and all, all of us, I think you have to get to this point in terms of evaluating the object of your faith. What do I really believe in? What do I really trust? We used to sing an old song that goes, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame. And I told you what that word means, right? Feeling. I dare not trust the sweetest feeling or frame, but wholly lean on Jesus. There are lots of people that think they're saved by their confidence. They're not. There are lots of people that think they're saved because of their feelings. They're not. A lot of people think they're saved because of their good works. And they've done more good than that. No, a person is saved because their hope is built on nothing less. So, I, Terry, I think you're right. And we, this, all of us have got to come to grips with the object of our faith. What are you trusting in? Now, there's a book that you need to get. It's a t- it costs 99 cents. Yeah, you can afford it. Or Dick will pay for it. For the sake of the recording, Dick will pay for it. Oh, you sure, yeah. See <laughs> um, Sanders at yeah, Mackey. Right. Yeah. Uh, it's by a guy named Thomas Wilcox. Thomas Wilcox. He's an old Puritan. Don't be afraid, don't be afraid. American Puritans are the one that got a little goofy. British Puritans, uh, good, good. Uh, Thomas Wilcox, it's called A Little Taste of Honey from the Rock. A Little Taste of Honey from the Rock. It's one of the most encouraging, inspiring books I've ever read in my entire life, and I've read a few books. Uh, I go back to it all the time. I read it over and over and over again. Listen, Listen to what Wilcox says in this matter. He said, when we come to God, we must bring nothing but Christ. Any ingredients or previous qualifications of our own will poison and corrupt faith. He that builds upon duties and graces and virtues knows nothing of the merits of Christ. 
He actually says in the book that virtue and vice will damn your soul. Virtue and vice. You, you depend on your goodness, it'll damn your soul. This makes, this, what he said, this makes believing so hard. Can I get an amen? Amen. Yeah. This makes believing so hard from our nature. If you believe that you must every day renounce, renounce as dung and dross, it's what Paul says in Philippians 3, your privileges, your obedience, your baptism, your sanctification, your duties, your graces, your tears. I love the Puritan here. Your meltings. I like that. Meltings, meltings means, you know, you're just so, oh, before God. Your humblings. Nothing but Christ must be held up. Every day, your workings and self-sufficiency must be destroyed. You must take all out of God's hand. Christ is the gift of God. Faith is the gift of God. Pardon is the gift of God. And how nature storms against it. It was purchased. Nothing with what you did with your tears and duties. This guy, I'm telling you, he will wear you out on understanding that the object of your faith is not you or your goodness or your virtue or your vice, but Jesus Christ and him alone. Now that should be something that it thrill us to say, now I can live my life free with confidence. Does that make sense? Just you, you, you and I, I'm doing a lot of talking here, I know, for the sake of the recording. I can't believe that can't for believe the that. sake of the recording. For the sake of the recording. <laughs> I know. But, but... But I really, I really do want to press you a little bit. And myself, I, you know, I do this a lot for me. I, I, I wonder if you've dug around enough. Terry's talking about this idea of, I don't know if I'm saved. I feel like I might not be. Maybe you need to dig around and face what is the real object of your faith? Is it you try hard? Or is it you've done pretty well and you've made some progress spiritually now? Uh, yes. I do a lot of counseling. Well, and that means when I say he's Lord, okay, guide me, direct me. I'm, I'm, I'm just here to, to, to let you guide my life. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, go. When I was about eight years old, <laughs> I um, asked for a hatchet for Christmas. <laughs> Yeah. Tells us a lot. Well, you know, back then they were throwing hatchets, you know, and Who I grew was? up in everyone. Yeah, not everyone. Me? Everyone was so, not throwing hatchets. Grew up in Michigan. I got pretty good at throwing the hatchet. Everyone. But what was more astonishing is my parents got me a hatchet yeah. as an eight-year-old. So, um, I. I was putting the hatchet to good good use, and I cut down my neighbor's tree that was in her front lawn. Mm. And so I, and I knew she saw me, and so I knew the shoe was getting ready to drop. You know, I kept looking out the window. Oh, here she comes. Oh, no. You know, and it was, it was a reckoning time with my dad. This was not going to be good. Okay? So, and it wasn't. <laughs> yeah. Got my hatchet taken away, got a spanking, no timeouts back then. <laughs> um, so what do you think, when, when we've sinned, 
when I've sinned, I, I know you guys don't, but when <laughs> we've sinned, um, what do you think the attitude of God is when we come to him? Do you think he's sitting there tapping with his arms crossed, tapping his toe? What, what, do you think his, what do you think his attitude is when we come to him with sin? He loves us. This is the whole, he, this is the whole reason he came, to continually cleanse us. What does that say in 1-7? In 1 John 1, 7, but if we walk in the light as he himself is in light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we don't come to him for that continual cleansing, his son coming is all in vain. And he doesn't want that. Mm -hmm. Really, the only thing we can bring him is our sin. Yeah. Think about it. If you had never heard about God, I know that's hard to imagine, but if you've never heard about God, never heard about him, didn't know anything about him, and you heard Jesus tell the parable, you can write this down later, the parable in Matthew 20. There was a guy who was a landowner, and he went to town at 6 o'clock in the morning and hired some guys to work. And they went to work. He said, I'll pay you a day's wage, the denarii, denarius. And, and then he comes back at 9 in the morning and says, what are you guys doing? Well, we didn't, okay, you go out. I'll pay you the wage. Goes back at 12. Goes back at 5 in the afternoon. And there's still guys waiting to work. That was me. That was you. <laughs> you kept hiding. Uh, that, that at 5 o'clock he comes and says, Where, why aren't you working? They said, well, nobody hired us. So you said, go in my field and I'll pay you what you, I'll pay you. So they work two hours. So at the end of the day, the, 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 the owner comes and starts paying everybody out from the people that work the least. So when it comes to the people that just got there, an hour, he pays them the entire day wage. Well, the people, again, this is the story, 20, when the people that have been working all day going, man, we're going to make lots of money, right? Because we're going we're gonna to get paid more because we've been here all day. When he gets to them, he pays them all the same. Well, they're upset. They're outraged. And, and Jesus says that the owner says this, uh, is it not lawful for me to do as I wish or is your eye envious because I'm generous? See, I think we don't think God is generous. By the way, there's a Jewish parable identical to this in Matthew 20, told by the rabbis. There's an identical parable of this told by the rabbis. Here's the difference. The people that came at the latest time of the day were paid more because they worked harder than anyone else. Jesus flips the script completely. Where the Jewish parable is, yeah, they got paid the most because they actually worked harder than these other guys that were loafing. If you'd never heard a story about God and you, that was the one you'd go, wait a minute, God is generous and kind and loving. Now, I, I got to say this from this standpoint. We, we talked about this on different occasions. Listen, um, and I'm not sure how to say this, but I'm leaving town, so it's okay. <clears throat> As I've gotten older... <clears throat> There will be people who will hear that message of God's faithfulness and generosity. And because something, I don't know, their heart is either not engaged or something, they see that now as a get out of jail card free. And I don't know how to fix that with duty and effort and energy. Their heart hasn't been transformed. 
They've heard the message and it's just now get out of jail free and kind of live in the way I want to. There are others that when they hear that, it ignites them. And they have a heart that says, if, if that is the truth, then I want to live the rest of my life in honor and respect to him. That's where we get hung up. What we're trying to do often is we're trying to correct that person whose heart doesn't ever get engaged. It's just transactional. It's just transactional. Tell you, I, I, this is in my notes. Okay. I had a guy in the church. Yeah, for the sake of the recording. Uh, it's just transactional. And listen, I don't know how to fix that. But I know what people try to do. I know that sometimes, pre- and I've tried to do that as a preacher. I'd beat the living daylights out of you to get you stopped doing that. You know, just pound on you, pound on you. But that's because that's a transactional thing. That's, that's a, when I was a pastor in Houston, a guy came up to me one time and he was wanting to spend time with me and he wanted to, to, to talk, take me out to lunch and, and wanted to, all this kind of stuff. And I thought, well, this guy really likes me. I'm, I'm, and I'm a pretty nice person, so, you know. I he said, is. I am, oh, yeah. And, and, and spending all this time, and we went to lunch finally and I found that this guy had a company. He wanted the sheet of all the contacts for the church people. Well, I didn't give it to him. Guess what? <laughs> he never wanted to be around me again. Why? This was transactional. See? Whenever a person hears that Jesus Christ loves them and died for them and paid for their sins and gives them eternal life now, for some people, that's just transactional. I pray a prayer. I said a thing. That's it. What we're talking about here is a life whose heart has been ignited to say, I'm not going to be perfect. I'm not going to be ever. It's not that I'm not going to fail, but it's that my heart and life is given. He's the object of my faith. He's the object of my desire. He's the object of my life. As imperfectly as I may live that out, that's the object of my faith. Does that make make any sense? Yes. So, I mean, it it should be, it, it, it should be what Cliff was saying that, when we do mess up, we don't, we're not sitting there like I was as an eight-year-old waiting for the shoe to drop and, you know, I'm going to get whipped and uh, yeah. just dreading it. Because of that love that God has for us, I should go to him and say, boy, I, I blew that. But not that license. Mm-hmm. That's the um, Gnostics. The, right. That's the Gnostics. They're saying, hey, that's great. Now we can do what we want to do. Do what we want to do. Or, which one of my, one of my favorites of the Dark Ages, the mm. indulgence, mm. where you buy the indulgence from the church, and then you can do whatever you want. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's, that's in the church from these writings of the Gnostics, and, mm-hmm. and all the way through that either... I can buy my way out or God owes me. He said that he'll forgive me for anything so I can live any way I want. Hmm. Well, that's not love. If, you're, if someone you were close to, your husband, your wife, if that's how they live, that would be not good. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. Yes. Made all the difference, wouldn't it? Yeah, would have been an act of love. Yeah, and when you say that, you know, I, we we've said this on a couple of occasions that 
that that some of us, I was in a church that was so much behavioral modification that I obeyed without loving for a long time. Except I loved myself because I was obeying so I wouldn't go to hell. I, that's why I obeyed. I, I don't want to go to hell. It wasn't because I love God. It's because I love go. you. If it kills me, that's I'm right. love you. Yeah, and that's the prodigal son's older brother. He had never disobeyed, but it was because of self-seeking, pride, self-service. Yeah. I think that, too, that if you want to write this down, it's in Galatians 5, 6, that one of the things here in this matter is that, that really the Christian life is faith. This was John Wesley's favorite, one of his favorite definitions. When he said that Paul says circumcision doesn't matter or uncircumcision, but this is what matters, faith working through love. What you're saying there. Faith working through love. It's not just faith working. It's faith working through love because of the object of my affection, the object of my life, the object of my hope and trust. So what's a, what's a byproduct of that object of our love? If, our, if the object of our love is God, what's, what's the, we've been studying this, what's the byproduct of that? Confidence, but how do we, how, what, what, what's one of the byproducts of it? What comes out of it? Going loving others. That's right. Yeah. And so by going and loving others, that's not, you're not paying your dues. It's just the natural thing that comes of it. Yeah. No, I, exact, this idea of being motivated because I've been loved through the Holy Spirit to, to love others, to, to be in that involvement. Yes. So that for the recording, if you love me, John 14, you'll obey me. So if I'm having trouble obeying, maybe I ought to consider where's the love issue in my life. And let me remind you, that's a great, remind you what, what has been said on different occasions in 1 John. We love, why? Okay, so if you're having trouble loving, what might be the reason? You, you don't believe you were first loved. We love because he first loved us. So if we're having trouble obeying, because if you love, you obey. If we're having trouble, we don't need to be concerned about obedience, trying to figure out, I got to obey, I got to obey. We need to back up and say, wait a minute, love or obedience is the result of love, and I love because he first loved me. And that's and okay that if that takes a long time <clears throat> yeah. for, for you to go through and look at scriptures to give you give yourself affirmation that he loves us. Go spend a month, a year on it. Mm-hmm. It's okay because this is what it's all about. Yeah. That's why I recommend Wilcox's book. The other book I recommend is Come and Welcome to Christ by John Bunyan on this matter about confidence. Come and Welcome to Christ by John Bunyan. Uh, it's a book that he wrote on one verse, John six thirty seven. All that the Father give to me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never cast them out. Whoever comes, I'll never cast them out. Come and welcome to Christ. So th- this whole idea of the object of our faith, of living this out because we're really trusting. If our confidence is based in our performance or in our achievement or any of those other things, it's going to be a rough ride. But if our confidence, if our if our awareness our is in the 
finished work of Jesus Christ, then we have the confidence, the ability, if you will, to, to love others, to be empowered, to be strengthened, to, to live that kind of life. We hope that's some of what we've been able to get across in this, uh, this book. Uh, now, somebody, <laughs> boy, this is going to be a terrible uh, transition. Here, I can transition this. Can you? Okay. Yeah, John Bunyan and Dr. Scholes work together. <laughs> Thank you very much, everybody. <laughs> yeah, good night, everybody. There. I eased yeah. the transition. You did. Yeah. yeah, that was a real easy transition there. Um, there, there was some concern. Uh, uh, people get this idea of First uh, John 5 of sin that leads to death and sin that does not lead to death. We looked at that last week uh, there. Uh, that Some questions there toward the end of what is that uh, concern. And a couple people said, well, is this what the Bible refers to? This is why it's so hard uh, to transition here. Is uh, this what's called the unpardonable sin? You've heard that. And so I want to just touch that out of Mark 3 here just for a moment. The idea of, John says there is sin, not a sin. There is sin that leads to death, and there is sin that does not lead to death. Now notice, again, we, if you want to listen to the recording, listen last week. We went in good, great detail about it. It's leading to. It doesn't mean it's there. It means it's leading to the path of death. Some have suggested this is physical death. Uh, some have said that, you know, you just are so bad, God kills you. Um, I, I have a hard time with that because I think the, the context is not uh, really uh, uh, working that way. So Mark 3, uh, this, uh, I've had more people ask me this over the years about this idea because when you hear this about sin unto death or the unpardonable sin, it makes you sit up a little bit uh, and understand what is that. Uh, I, I think that John may be referring to the same idea. It's that it leads to death, but what is it more specifically? So look over here in Mark chapter 3, uh, and it says in here, And he came, to his own, uh, came home, and a crowd gathered to such an extent, I'm in verse 20, that he could not even eat a meal, and when his own people heard this, they went out to take custody of him, saying he's lost his senses. His own family thinks that Jesus has maybe kind of gone off the rails here. The scribes came down from Jerusalem and were saying he's possessed by Beelzebul. Beelzebul is, in Canaanite religion, considered the prince of the demons. The prince of the demons. He oversees them all. And say, they would suggest in a more Greek idea, Satan. But Beelzebul essentially is the priest over all the uh, demons. Because uh, he casts out demons by the ruler of demons. And he, came, and he called them and he began speaking parables. How can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, the kingdom cannot stand. If a house is divided against itself, the house will not stand. If Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand. He's finished. But no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his property unless he first binds the strong man and they'll plunder his house. Truly, truly, I say to you, all sins shall be forgiven. The sons of men and whatever blasphemies they utter. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness but has is guilty of an eternal sin. Now watch, look at verse 33. Because they were saying he has an unclean spirit. So Mark defines it for us. What is this sin? To declare that what? Jesus has what? An unclean spirit. Okay. 
So this sin, if that's what leads to it, is where a person comes to the point that they believe that Jesus has an unclean spirit. So why is that for unforgivable? Hmm? Okay, for the sake of the recording, Jay is asking, if, if Jesus has an unclean spirit, then he couldn't forgive you. Yeah, possibility. Yeah, I think that you're, yeah. Don't believe any of it. What? You don't believe who it is. Yeah. The, yeah, the, the word blasphemy means to revile or to defame or speak ill. Let me ask you this. Can you be forgiven by Jesus if you declare he has an unclean spirit? That's what kind of sin? An unforgivable one. Why? You don't believe he can forgive you. Why? He has an unclean spirit. The unforgivable nature of this sin is not that you've done something, you've crossed some line that God can't forgive. It's that you've come to the place that you'd say, Jesus is not God. He has an unclean spirit. You're not going to go to him then and ask him to do what? Forgive me. The unforgivable nature is not that God is God. Okay, you do this when you're done. It's the idea that if you think Jesus has an unclean spirit, you'll never go to him. You'll never ask for forgiveness. And it will be unforgivable, right? Because he's the source of forgiveness. Would a person repent or seek forgiveness in Jesus if they hold a position that he's the prince of the devils? Of course not. You can't go in two different directions at the same time. You can't say Jesus is the Savior of the world and he's the prince of demons, right? So it becomes unforgivable. It's an eternal sin, Matthew says, because you've come to that position. It's not that a person has said something or done something. Oh, no, I did something. It's that they come to that. By the way, I say that. Do you think the Pharisees went home that night and had a little conversation? You know, maybe we were a little tough on Jesus today. I wonder, were we too harsh on him? No. They had come to the point and position that he was the prince of devils. So they are never going to come to him. Yeah. Yeah, for the sake of the... Yes. This... Yeah, exactly. And that's what some of these people are doing in 1 John. They're just saying, we can sin, we can live, we can do whatever we want to do, and we reject this whole thing. It's also, if you'll note in the text in, in, in Mark, the verb there is in what we call the imperfect tense. They were saying, what you're talking about is correct. They were saying, meaning they were continually saying. This wasn't an event. It wasn't a one-time thing. They were saying. So if they were to stop or they were to say, okay, I don't believe that anymore. I believe that Jesus is the Christ. Could they be forgiven? Yes, because all sins can be forgiven. Yes. Well, it would require some assessment to say that when a person is living in this kind of thing where they're just throwing it all off. No, but this, is, this is written to believe. Right. Not unbelief. Correct. But anyone could, if they, if they came to the point that Jesus was the prince of devils, believer or unbeliever, would still be in that same condition. Correct. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. Right. And I, I'm suggest, I think what we suggested is this is a particular type of sin that believers could, 
if they got into that word, the Gnostic heresy, where they just said, okay, I'm just going to throw all this off and live any way I want to and do whatever I want to, that can begin the process of leading to spiritual death. Yeah. Well, guys, uh, I hope this has been somewhat helpful. I don't know. We, we tried to answer some of the questions on here. We're going to start a new series later called Now What? Um, if we have confidence and if we think and believe that we have this confidence that we have eternal life, now what? Is there, what, what do we do about that? And uh, we'll be, any final thoughts here? <laughs> no. Oh. <laughs> well, you guys have been patient and uh, we'll a- try to answer other questions if we can. This has uh, been a, a, a good experience for us and to be able to kind of work through this. Uh, I hope, again, you'll leave today. We'll all be confident that we know what the object of our faith is. We'll know what the object of our faith is. It's not us. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and his righteousness. Yeah. Thank you. Oh, okay. Yeah, all right. Leave yeah. yourself alone. Leave yourself alone. Quit picking at yourself. That's right. <laughs>